0: Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 495 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Thursday, March 2nd, 2023. Gentlemen, now it's definitely March. We heard from a couple of listeners who checked in from Hawaii who managed to listen to our last episode, free March. Uh, that, by the way, it's
1: so awesome. That was so awesome. That was great. <laughs> and we they heard-
0: sent screenshots. It was great. There were there were two of them though, right? I think I think yeah, there were two, yeah. Yeah. We got two Hawaii notifications. So that's that's pretty good. Uh, I'm Sam Klein. I'm your host for this episode. I'm joined, as always, by Donald and Jason. So uh Donald, man, what's up?
2: It's March. I'm ready to go. This is I mean, this is gonna be a fun week, fun weekend, fun month. This is the best time of the year. Uh Jason's also here.
1: Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny. I was thinking about this today. Like, I'm so excited for March and to see this team and for all of March Madness. And and every year we're like that. But there's also like a little piece of me that's like, God, it feels like the season goes by so damn fast. It's Because it does. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, there's a little tinge of sadness that we're in. I, I guess it's not technically the final month of the season because the final four is in April, but it feels like the final month of the season. As uh
0: as they might be giants saying, you're older than you've ever been, and now you're even older. Uh I, I I wanted to shout out the names uh very quickly. It was listener Brian and Listener Lauren. Both both got back to us immediately after listening to that episode that said that they were uh they were in Hawaii. And actually Lauren did send the screenshot of uh he sent us a screenshot of it being uh Tuesday night in it was like nine forty five on Tuesday. When it was still February. So, uh, appreciate y'all doing that. I,
1: I just, I love our listeners. So that much. that was great.
0: <laughs> okay. We have, we have a few topics to talk about today. So we said we were going to be back to preview UNC and, and along with that, we have one piece of news we need to discuss, which is that we speculated after the game on Tuesday, that it seems like Ryan young is coming back for one more season at Duke. He confirmed that in the, Press conference, So we're going to talk about that. And then uh, I also, before we preview UNC, want to go through the scenarios for Duke as it pertains to ACC tournament seating, because there is a range of outcomes right here. It seems like Jason is going to explain to us that Duke could go anywhere from second in the ACC. Duke could end up second in the ACC all the way down to fifth, uh, which would have different implications for who Duke would get to play on the way to a potential ACC championship but let's talk about the Ryan Young news real quick so this was after the game I guess we had missed this on on Tuesday night because we were recording right afterwards but Ryan Young basically announced that he is going to be transitioning to the NBA program at Fuqua so he and I will be I,
1: Sam I, I don't know if I would call it announced I think sure. what happened was he, in uh, reporters were allowed I in know. the locker Donald Donald take it yeah you know what's the story
2: yeah so you Normally, so for those of you out there during COVID and, and for maybe a year or two after COVID, whenever there were any post-game media availability for players and coaches, it was always via Zoom and it was always selected players. So, you know, you know, if we won the game and Jeremy Roach had 20 points, he'd be one of the guys that would come out to uh, be a part of the Zoom and we would partic- be able to participate virtually. Now, this season, they have gotten back to what was pre-COVID, where after the game, people can go into the locker room and interview players. And then they come out into the media room where the coaches uh, will have their say. But uh, if you're on the road, it's a little different. But if you're at home for to interview Duke players, you have to go into the Duke locker room. So after the game, before John Shire got on, I was able to go into the locker room and, and ask some few questions. I, I think I mentioned on the show that we had uh, I had talked with uh, Derek Whitehead uh, about a couple of things. And I noticed that someone was talking to Ryan Young. And there's some guys that, you know, have everyone around them. Kyle Filippowski had 50 people around him. Um, And then, but like Ryan Young had one person talking. So it wasn't that he announced it per se. I think someone asked him a question in the media scrum in the locker room. And later on, we found out via the Chronicle, uh, shout out to the Chronicle. They listed that, that he had confirmed during that media scrum. Someone asked him a question about returning and he said that he was coming back.
0: And that, and that, the reporting from the Chronicle afterwards is that he was going to be continuing with the MBA program.
1: So, which is, uh, which, by the way, is not accurate. He's not in the MBA program. But the uh, not yet. I, I not, think. Not I, think yet. I think the Chronicle. I'm not sure what part of that the Chronicle got wrong. It may be that Ryan Young is planning to join the MBA program, but he's not currently in the MBA program. Right. Not he's that in any of this matters. It doesn't really matter. The bottom yeah, line. The, the most main important part is he's coming is Ryan back. Young is coming back. Yeah. I don't care what classes he's taking, but he's going
0: Well, look if, he, if he's getting if he's getting a Fuqua MBA, then he's got a, a better connection with me than, than any of these other guys who who go to MMS. So I care about this uh, on a very personal level. But for the purposes of discussing his eligibility next year, yes, you are right. It is irrelevant uh, what what academic program he is in. But he's coming back next year. We speculated that that, that might make sense for everybody involved on the basketball court because. Duke is likely uh, lighter in the post next year, given the recruits that are coming in. And I'm sure that John Shire would rather have returning second year, Ryan young, than a uh, new transfer. Even if it's a, like, even if you look at a guy who had a better pedigree than Ryan young did at Northwestern, the guarantee of a guy who knows what he's doing at Duke is going to be hugely valuable next season.
2: You know, I think it's, it's interesting, right? When we first got Ryan young, it was mentioned then that he had two years of eligibility. And I think even back then last summer, we were like, Hey, this Ryan young guy can stay for a couple of years if, if it, if it works out. And I think it's great, honestly, that over the last couple of years in the, in this new era of the transfer portal, we have gotten at least one guy per year that, you know, kind of, you can kind of say that was a successful transfer. I mean, we had Theo John last year and then this year, I think Ryan young, exceeded expectations in some ways, right? I think when we, when we enter the season, we thought Jake Grandison would be the transfer that would be the most successful of the trio. But Ryan Young, I think has emerged as, as, as the clear winner of that uh, debate. But I think also you're right coming back next year and having someone with a veteran presence, someone who again has been a part of the program and knows what John Shire is all about. As we get some more freshmen into this mix, some other transfers will we'll maybe enter this mix But I think we're going to have, he can be one of those guys that can be a captain. He can be a leader. He's already demonstrated that on the court uh, many times during the season. There's times where, if, you know, Jeremy Roach, who was our, you know, lone official captain on the floor, Ryan Young is the one that assumes that leadership responsibility. So to have that return, I'm sure the coaching staff, John Shire, I think is going to be super happy about that because, again, that continuity that we talked about last week that is kind of, you know, the goals of this, of this new era of John Shire, that continuity is going to continue under John, under Ryan Young. And he will have, you know, the leadership qualities, he'll have the capabilities and he'll be a probably a big part of that
1: rotation, uh, which I think is going to be great. So I'm going to tell you something about Ryan Young. There are about 2,240 players who play enough basketball and college basketball that they are sort of qualified to, to get onto leader lists, you know, like, they take They've played enough minutes that you know they're worth considering for various statistical awards and as such. Two thousand two hundred at latest count is two thousand two hundred and forty-two. That's a lot of different players. Ryan Young is tenth in the nation, not top ten teams, top ten players in the nation at his ability to grab offensive rebounds at his offensive rebounding percentage, and he's been there all year. Like
2: yeah. it's, it's been, that's one you know, we've had some metrics that ebb and flow that has been a constant all year. And also Jason, I think earlier in the year for about maybe, maybe through like the end of January, he was one of the top 15 in offensive efficiency to top 15
1: players in the country in that regard. Oh, oh yeah. That, I mean, his numbers are ridiculous. So in addition to that outrageous offensive rebounding percentage, he's hitting 69.7% of his field goals in the season. 70% on his field goals, 19th best among all players in Division 1 basketball. I mean that's that's insane. And and let's make let's be clear. Like Ryan Young does that while taking some difficult shots. Like he's he's almost always guarded. He's usually putting it up from a difficult angle, you know, with a, another big man on him. He he has the 8th best offensive rating according to Ken Pomeroy, which is a it's a complicated efficiency metric. It's not stick you know strictly shooting percentages and stuff but it's a measurement of efficiency he's number 8 in the country according to Ken Pomeroy he's really great at drawing fouls he's one of the you know one of the top players in the ACC in terms of the number of fouls he draws and he hits 80% of his free throws good god i mean what else could you want from a big man i'm i'm so thrilled that this guy is going to be back he's not the most athletically gifted guy by the way he he blocks a lot more shots than you would think he's but he's not the most athletically gifted guy He's not aesthetically pleasing to watch on the floor, but he gets the job done. He hustles. He's always working really hard. He plays smart. Uh, I think he's an ideal candidate to to be a captain next year as well. And for all of the versatile, big-ish
0: guys that are coming into Duke next year, Mackenzie Mbaco, Sean Stewart, and TJ Power, you could envision any of them playing next to Ryan Young in sort of different lineup combinations. So it, it, it's likely, I think, next year that Young doesn't start again, or at least that's not the plan, is right. that is that, you know, Mbako and Stewart maybe start and that that's Duke's like small ish front court, assuming that Sam, Filipowski's Sam, not there. I,
1: I'm, I'm just going to say you're writing off Kyle Philipowski too fast. I'm not saying I know anything.
0: I, I, that's but... what I'm saying. Assuming that he's gone, I right. said, assuming that Filipowski's not there, assuming that Filipowski and Lively are both gone, then. Duke may have like an undersized starting undersized ish starting lineup with Ryan Young playing meaningful minutes off the bench and spelling whoever needs to needs to take a breather so uh he he may still average like over 20 minutes a game next year even uh like even even with Filipowski on the on the team but certainly if Filipowski's not there
1: and and I'll tell you that early in the year I wouldn't be at all you know in the scenario that you're describing where we don't have a Kyle Filipowski you know, where Duke doesn't maybe bring in another transfer, which I think is pretty unlikely. Um, but you know, we have to see. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if Ryan Young was a starter early in the year while while the freshmen, while the the younger big men, the the M'bacos, and especially Sean Stewart, while they, you know, get acclimated with college basketball and the physicality of it and all that other kind of stuff. you know, Ryan Young's a security blanket. He's a great security blanket to have. he He can, you know, step into any situation. He's the epitome
2: of stay ready. So you don't have to get ready and you always be ready because if you remember, you know, right before the beginning of the season started, Derek Lively went down for a couple of weeks and guess who stepped into his position while he was able to come back. That was Ryan Young. I think Ryan Young is going to be a a guy that like you said, Jason, he can come off the bench. He can start if he needs to. He he's a guy that does not care what his role is. He will be efficient in whatever role you give him. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to having him back. I'm glad that he's coming back and uh, you know, it, it it makes it makes for a better Duke uh, basketball team next year that he'll be back. So, guys, let's talk very quickly before
0: we get to the Carolina game this weekend. Let's talk about the situation in the ACC and the and the state of the conference. So, when we last spoke, Pitt had not yet played Notre Dame, and uh, we talked about how it seemed like Pitt might might be the uh, might be the sole ACC regular season champion, but. Uh, unfortunately, Jeff Cable's team lost to Mike Bray's team in a battle of uh, former Coach K assistants, and so now the state of the ACC. And I, I Jason, I'm going to want you to walk me through the scenarios here. But as it stands right now, Pitt, Miami, and Virginia are all tied at 14 and five. Clemson and Duke are then tied for fourth place at 13 and six. But of course, the the tiebreaker scenarios. Uh, can be somewhat complicated depending on exactly how many teams end up at different places in the lost column. So Jason right now, Duke is fifth in the ACC, but as I understand it, there are ways for Duke to end up anywhere from second to fifth, depending on the outcomes of the games this weekend.
1: Yeah, it, it's, it's dizzying and I'm not sure that a podcast where we where we're talking through stuff is the best place for people to get this information. But the the bottom line is, there are four games that matter for Duke's seeding. There's obviously the Duke UNC game. There's Pitt and Miami. There's Clemson and Notre Dame and Virginia and Louisville. The first thing you need to know, the most important thing you need to know is this. If Duke loses to UNC, we're the number five seed. Period. End of story. Done. Don't need to think about any, anything else. We can't fall to number six. We can't rise above anybody who's you know currently tied with us or anything like that. We're the number five. I'd rather not talk about that scenario anymore because we're not losing to UNC. We're not losing to Carolina. <laughs> so let's talk no. about scenarios.
0: Yeah. I, I, I accept I accept your, uh, your decision on, on how to take the conversation here. Thank you. Thank you very much.
1: So let's talk about the different scenarios. Should Duke beat Carolina? And the first one, and this is a little crazy. I want people to understand this is highly unlikely. But if Virginia loses to Louisville, if Miami beats Pittsburgh, and if Clemson loses to Notre Dame, then Duke is the number two seed, assuming we beat Carolina. Again, what, 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 what are we going to do if that happens? (laughs) Like we,
0: the three, what, what, what do the three of us do if Duke gets the two seed in the ACC tournament here?
1: I mean, what are you talking about? Like, Is there like some challenge? Do we have to go outside and run? I, I, I guess, yeah.
0: Like, I feel like email, DBR podcast. DBR podcast at gmail.com. No, wait, wait. Mm-hmm. I
1: am not volunteering we, to let the listeners you we, you can volunteer to yourself. Look, we're, we're going to have to little agree little to little it on old. air, but we're taking we're taking
0: ideas. We're taking ideas. Oh, man. Uh, Who's we? I, I'm saying we're taking ideas. I'm not committing us to anything. Oh, I'm just saying that if Duke gets the two seats, if Virginia loses to
2: Louisville. Come on. Hey, everybody. Come on now. You could do what Sam says, but just don't be mean. Don't 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 put us in those. I have to be. Presumably I'm to be you Chapel listen Hill. to the show because you like us. Yeah, I'm going to be in Chapel Hill on Saturday. So don't do nothing that I have to do in Chapel Hill. Don't make me regret nothing. Don't make me go to jail. <laughs> Short of that, DBR podcast. Yeah, I'm I'm
0: I'm I'm trying not to go to jail. That's a that's a pretty basic basic requirement i don't even want really the threat of that i think i've aged out of
1: that yeah so so this is an unlikely scenario but but it could happen i think the most likely scenarios probably duke ends up as a as the three four or five there you know by the way there's scenarios where duke beats unc and we're still the number five seed Uh, again i can uh, the most important thing in all of this is that notre dame clemson game that's kind of the key factor there if clemson wins that game it becomes difficult, if not impossible, for Duke to get higher than the number five seed. Um, I mean, if Clemson wins and Miami wins, we get the number four. So I guess that can happen and stuff. But if Clemson and Pitt win, we get the number five. It, it, they're all kind of, you know, again, it's just not, I don't think it's worth it to go through all the scenarios here because it would make, first of all, it wouldn't be very interesting, <laughs> but it, it would make people's eyes glass gla, uh, glaze over. the The thing I wanted to say about all this, though, I'm not, this is going to sound crazy. I'm actually not convinced that I want Duke to get the number four seed or the number three seed. And here's why. The pretty likely scenario where Clemson wins and Pittsburgh wins. These, I think these are reasonable scenarios. And Duke gets the number five seed. In that scenario, I really like Duke's draw, like in a big way. Because in that scenario, Clemson's the number four and Pitt is the number one. So Duke would play like a Florida State, a Georgia Tech, or Virginia Tech. Those are the teams that we'd probably play in the first round. We would then play Clemson in the quarterfinals and Pittsburgh in the semifinals. That would mean that Virginia, Miami, UNC, and NC State would all be on the other other half of the draw. No offense to Clemson and Pittsburgh. Two fine teams. I, I love what Jeff Capel's done this year. But if you ask me, Virginia, Miami, UNC, and NC State are teams that I fear more then I fear Clemson and Pittsburgh. So again, in that scenario where Duke is the number five, Clemson's the number four, and Pitts the number one, which is a fairly likely scenario, I I really like Duke's draw a lot. So for those out there, there's a lot like, like Jason said, there's
2: a lot of ifs, ands, or buts when it comes to all these scenarios. But let me boil it down very simply. If you are hoping, if you are rooting for Duke to get the double bye on set or in the in the tournament, Obviously, the Duke winning part is part is part of that. But if Clemson loses, we are at least a four. That's how it boils down. Everything else kind of Correct. confuddles itself yeah. into maybe two, three, or four. But if Clemson loses and Duke wins, we have a double buy somewhere on that side. And we'll be playing in the quarterfinals. And we don't have to play until next Thursday. That's the simple scenario. On the other hand, Jason, when it comes to sort of the outcome here,
0: and I, and I don't want to game it out too much because it's like what's the point of this let's just play some basketball games I would like for Duke to get an opportunity for one more quad one win and one fewer you know quad two or or even quad three loss I don't know that like outside of the first round in the ACC tournament that Duke would be on pace for a for a quad three game but getting another quad one win would be great for Duke so whether that's playing Virginia at some point, playing Pittsburgh at some point, playing North Carolina again. uh, My preference here is that Duke gets, in addition to the game at Carolina, which should be a quad one opportunity, getting one more quad one. Because when you look at Duke's, uh, you know, looking ahead at the NCAA tournament, uh, Duke's rating in the net, Duke's got a a pretty bad record against in in their quad one games. And those are the toughest games. Those are the ones where um, you're playing the best teams and and they're... uh, more of those games are going to be on the road the way that the the net is designed. But Duke has a, has a pretty lopsided uh, negative record in those quad one opportunities. And that limits Duke's seating in the tournament. So my hope here is that Duke gets in addition to the Carolina game, which will be a quad one opportunity, one more quad one opportunity so that they can uh, Im- improve that, that seating potential in the tournament. Because right now you could sort of see a scenario where like, Duke loses this game to UNC. They lose and, you know, an inexplicable first round game in the ACC tournament and then wind up with a a 7 seed in in the, oh, it might in the be NCAA tournament. It, it could be worse it, than that.
1: It could be worse than that.
0: Yeah. But but Duke beats but if Duke beats Carolina and then let's say they beat like, you know, Pitt and Virginia on their way to to an ACC tournament, even if it's not the winning the whole tournament, but but uh to get to the final, Duke could end up being like a 4 seed. I feel like there's a there's a huge range of outcomes right now, given, uh, you know, knowing that there aren't that many games left, but that they could have a huge impact.
2: So as of right now, and obviously the net changes daily, right? Like every single time something happens, the net kind of changes. And every day they tell you who has moved up, who's moved down and even where you were the day before. As of right now, because on the at a neutral site, which is the ACC tournament, a neutral site, one through 50 in the net are the teams that are eligible for a to be considered quad one. And right now in the ACC, there are only five teams that are quad one at this point, Duke, Virginia, Miami, NC state, and UNC Pittsburgh is at 55th. So it's funny. You might actually want a, in a way you kind of want a pit to win so that if you do play them in the tournament, they are a quad one opponent at that point. But also again, as the tournament progresses, the net will change every day with those as well. So you could have a team and, and, and especially- if Pitt beats
0: Miami and Miami falls out of of the uh you know nah, that that's quad one
1: space. But I mean they the, could yeah, they could fall out it doesn't really matter yeah. because it um, Miami would only fall the 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 place where it would matter is whether Miami's in the top thirty. And that that's only whether they're a quad one or a quad two. Actually, we had on the road. Well, but then,
0: but then if, yeah. but th- th- this is why it's silly to talk about because it, it, there, it's there's, also there's so many right. combinations, but
1: remember, re- remember
2: against Miami, when we lost to Miami, we lost so bad that they rose nine spaces and our win against them at home became a quad one win, but then the right. next day became a quad two, two win. So it, it's going to change daily. So I wouldn't necessarily focus on that, but the idea is to beat everybody in front of you. And we're going to have an opportunity to beat one or two of the top,
1: teams in the ACC if we're going to go all the way to an ACC final ACC victory. Last thing I want to mention really quick about all this stuff, and it's almost not worth rehashing, but I'm going to rehash it anyway. If the refs make the proper call against Virginia and Kyle Filipowski hits one out of two free throws, then Duke is currently in first in the ACC. Literally, like right now, we would be in first. We would have the tiebreaker on any one of those other teams that are in contention and we would be in control of our fate if we merely beat UNC we would win the ACC outright so just so silly so silly that we didn't that How get do you really win. feel about it? <laughs> I'm just I'm pissed. I'm Pissed. You're right and by the way Sam it, in that scenario it like literally the, the refs are costing us a, a seed line right now. If we had that victory at Virginia in our in our back pocket D- Duke's seed line would be a, a, you know one, at least 1 you know, one seed better than it currently is. And we would be in line for a top four seed in that scenario. If we win the, if we win the ACC, for sure we would. There's but a lot I, of, there's a lot of things that could have happened, right? Like
2: even when you look at it, right? Like John Shire probably gets more votes for coach of the year in the ACC, Kala Filipowski and some other guys might get more, you know, first team ballots because if you're doing this for a team that wins the regular season, then those teams usually get the benefit of the doubt with regards to the votes that they get for postseason awards. But at the same time, there are some other games where, you know, if we hadn't made our free throws, we would have lost those games. So it, it it's here nor there. I, I, I get the the uh, the angst about going back to the Virginia game and even the Virginia Tech game. I'm still pissed about those two, but we're in the situation we're in. There's only one scenario I have left. It's go to hell, Carolina
0: or Duke could have hit 75% of their threes at Miami, and they would also be in contention for first place. That's it. Just, just so close in so many ways. Guys, let's take a break. Speaking of, of the games this weekend, let's take a break and talk about that Carolina game. It's, of course, the final game of the season, so we will be back to preview that very shortly. Stick around. We are back and we are talking Duke at North Carolina at the Dean Smith Center on Saturday night. Donald Wine is going to be there. Donald,
2: you're going to be there. I'm going to be there. Yeah, it's going to. It's funny thing. uh, I was telling my one of my best friends from college. uh, The last time that I went to the Dean Dome was the only time I've been to the Dean Dome. And that was back in 2004. The Duhan layup. The Duhan game. Yes, I was at that game and that's the only time I've been there so it'll be interesting to step back into the Dean Dome for the first time in 19 years.
0: I went to one Duke UNC game at the Dean Dome and it was the Trey Jones game. So, yeah. or 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 you could call it the Wendell Moore game. It was it was the Trey Jones affair, I would say. Uh so that was I I I'd like to think that I'm I'm one for one and I don't need to go back. I did go back for a um for an interschool uh Duke versus UNC business school uh basketball game that was at the Dean Dome. And what was that uh, as
1: exciting as Trey Jones and Wendell Moore?
0: <laughs> uh I was louder at that game than I was at the uh <laughs> at the uh at, at the varsity game, I will say. Because at the varsity <laughs> game I was there with my dad and we were sitting and we were being polite. Uh at the was that wait, was that at the Dean Dome or was that in it might have been in Carmichael? It
1: was Ooh. probably in Carmichael. It might've it, been in Reynolds. The business school Was it things. in Reynolds Coliseum? <laughs> anyway, it was in Reynolds. It was, it was in Reynolds Coliseum. I know. I th- actually do think it was
0: in the Dean Dome. I think, I don't remember. I'll have to find out. If anyone went to business school with me and was at that, was at that blue cup game? Was it at the Dean Dome or was it at, um, was it at Carmichael? Please email us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> Let's talk about the, uh, about the game on Saturday though. So of course, I don't need to remind you, but but it is always fun to remind you that Duke has already beaten North Carolina once this year. That game, of course, was at Cameron Indoor. It was about a month ago. Uh, it'll, be, it'll be a month ago exactly uh, by the time they play on Saturday. So since that time, Donald, can you tell me uh, how North Carolina has fared in the time since they lost to Duke? I see more losses on their resume than probably they would have anticipated or they would have liked.
2: Yeah, so... Since they lost to Duke on February 4th, which, Sam, as you mentioned, will be exactly a month when we hit the floor again. Uh, they've gone four and three since then. Uh, they lost to Wake the very next game, uh, but they then beat Clemson after that. They had two losses in a row to Miami NC State, uh, and then they've recently won three straight. So uh, the thing about what they've been doing lately, it's been weird, right? And And Jason, I know you've seen some of these games too. It seems like some days they just don't, like to shoot the basketball well um I mean their effective field goal percentage has been dead last in the conference they can't shoot three-pointers well they're terrible at that of course we talk about this against Duke they have some guys that like like Caleb Love who will just go off against us and that's that you kind of have to expect that but I want to rehash a couple of stats from the last game that I mentioned after the game that I think are important The last game, as we remember, was 63 to 57. It was the third fewest combined points in a Duke-UNC game ever over the course of history. So I'm going to remind you, of the 10 Duke-UNC games with the fewest combined points, Duke's record in those games is 10-0. We we have won every single one of those games. So we kind of want it to be a low score affair, but it starts with the defense. They need to show up on this one, put a ton of pressure on the guards, Keep Armando Baycott off the free throw line. If you remember, he had two free throws very early in the first game and then didn't have any the rest of the game. I think he – or I'm sorry, he had one more the rest of the game. He shot three. He, he, we kept him off the line. Rebounding, we won the rebounding battle. We have to do that again. UNC is always a good rebounding team, both on offense and in defense. And hopefully, you know, we can make some threes because I think that's where the pressure mounts for, for UNC. UNC, in some of these losses, have had teams – not necessarily shoot them out of the gym, but shoot them to the point where they have to respond. And like I said, they're traditionally not great this year at shooting threes to catch up with people. So if you're going to force them to shoot more threes where they're not good at, at shooting threes to catch up in the game, then you're putting a lot of pressure on them. And that's going to, again, drive the scoring kind of way down for them. So those are the things that I've seen over the last you know month or so. And I, I think for UNC, they're obviously their last home game. They want to go out with a win against us. They want to right the ship and, and avenge the things. The energy is going to need to be there, and I think it will be when it comes to Duke-UNC. It's always present. But I think in this shooting execution, shooting decisions are going to need to be key. Moving the ball around are going to need to be key. But at the end of the day, it comes down to three words. Defense, defense, defense.
0: The one game on Carolina's schedule that I'm that I'm curious about is from last week uh, they beat Virginia 71 to 63 at home. And speaking of shooting, uh, this was a game where I guess Pete Nance decided to put on Brady Mannix Jersey or something, because uh, in a year when Pete Nance has not been uh, nearly what was promised to Carolina fans, uh, he goes four for four from three scores, 22 points, just lights up the Cavaliers. Jason, uh, I I know we were we were keyed into that one. Can you talk a little bit about about Carolina and the shooting and any other kind of numbers uh, that have supported their their recent performance?
1: Yeah, their last two games, and and, and I'll I'll be very clear. We got to hope that that this does not happen to us in a big way. Their last two games against Florida State and Virginia, they hit 14 out of 29 three pointers against Florida State. They hit 10 out of 22 against Virginia that's darn close to 50% on threes in each one of those games and that's on high three point volume it if carolina hits 50% of their threes against duke we're in trouble i'm going to be real clear about that but that, that that was so out of character for this carolina team i can't even tell you they're just not a good three point shooting team uh, they are they're they're one of the worst three point shooters in the country on the season even including those two games where they hit nearly 50%, they're still only 31% on their threes, uh, you know, this season. And they're also one of the worst teams in the country. They're terrible at forcing turnovers, 344th in the country at forcing turnovers. So here's the crazy weird thing about Carolina. So we said lousy outside shooting team, lousy at forcing turnovers. Do you know two things they do really well? They're great at not turning the ball over. And they're great at not giving up a lot of three-pointers. So it's like this weird juxtaposition with them that like the things they're really bad at on one end of the floor, they're really good at that same thing on the other end of the floor. It's kind of crazy. So they're terrible at forcing turnovers, but great at hanging onto the ball. They're terrible at shooting threes, but they're really good at preventing teams from hitting three-pointers. Not in terms of like your percentage, but but what they're really good at is is keeping opponents from actually even taking a lot of three-pointers. It's also worth noting in terms of numbers and analytics, uh, this Carolina team, we've mentioned this before, but I'm going to bring it up again because I think it is really significant. They are not a great offensive rebounding team. We've seen a lot of Carolina teams that were just dominant on the offensive boards. That is not this Carolina team, but they are a really great defensive rebounding team. One of the top 15 teams in the country at grabbing defensive rebounds. And that's going to be a key battle in this contest because if you've watched Duke play at all this season, you know that Duke is an outstanding offensive rebounding team it is a huge part of how Duke scores points because we're just frankly not a great shooting team. The battle between Carolina giving up offensive rebounds and Duke trying to grab them will be one of the really, really interesting things to to watch in this game and, and could be the, the determining factor in all of it. Well, last Having- thing I've got really, really quick. I just want to ask you guys a question. Do you think Justin McCoy starts I ask this because Justin McCoy is a senior at UNC. He plays very, very little for them. He's he's had an injury-riddled career. But by tradition, North Carolina, in their last home game, starts all their seniors. They would have to sit either R.J. Davis or Caleb Love. I'm guessing it would probably be Caleb Love just because R.J.'s the point guard. sort of harder to, to have him out. But I'm wondering if Hubert continues the tradition that – that has been at Carolina forever and a day of starting the seniors in, and in which case the one senior who doesn't already play a ton for them is Justin McCoy. I think he does. I think he
2: starts them. It's something that they, I am pretty sure he did that last year. I know the the Duke game wasn't the last game uh, home game for them, but I'm pretty sure he did the same thing last year. Uh, I was going to mention, you mentioned how they haven't been good this year at offensive rebounds. Of course, against, you know, against Duke when we played in Cameron, they had 14 offensive rebounds. We had 13. We out rebounded them when it came to defensive rebounds. We had a we had a few more and won that rebounding battle. But again, I feel like these games are just gonna be uh just physical. Throw the some of these stats out of the window because you know, again, Caleb Love can't can't hit water from a boat until Duke is on the other side. All of a sudden he's hitting eight threes in a game. So I, I I strongly encourage people uh to take these, but also look out for. Uh, everything and expect the unexpected.
1: And by the way, the, the thing I want to remind everyone, Donald, you mentioned the previous game. The The previous Carolina game was Derek Lively's coming out party. Uh, eight blocks. Eight, eight, eight blocked shots. And Armando Baycott, who one of the front runners for ACC player of the year, I think Tyree Appleby is going to win ACC player of the year, but Armando Baycott is up there in the running. He's certainly going to be a first team all ACC player like did nothing remember in that Duke game. I I forget the exact number, but it was like the final 12 minutes of the game, like or final eight minutes of the game. He didn't take a single shot. Uh, Derek Lively absolutely owned him in a very, very big way. You, first of all, I'm going to say it, you know, that Baycott is looking forward to, to having this matchup again, that he's going to have a little extra fire in his belly as a result of how, how much lively dominated him last time. But that's a huge, huge key to the game. If, if somehow Lively is able to contain Baycott again, Carolina is going to need to be this great outside shooting team that has shown up a couple times this year, but for the most part, they are not um, if they're going to have a chance in this game.
0: On the offensive rebounding. The first game was one where uh, Duke managed to pull down 33% of their offensive rebounds. I hope that, and look, you said, Jason, Carolina is one of the best defensive rebounding teams, you know, Highlighted, of course, by Armando Baycott. I'm hoping that Duke is able to to notch an even better offensive rebounding performance. That's gonna be a key to uh, you know, making sure that you get shots and buckets uh against the hostile crowd.
1: Yeah, you mentioned the percentage. Uh Carolina usually gives up twenty-three percent of misses as offensive rebounds. Duke usually grabs thirty-seven percent of their missed shots. So 33 means we came closer to our number than they came to their number. And that'll be, that's a, it's a huge one to watch. I think that that 33 number, one third of shots uh, is a good metric. If we can get to that, I, I'll feel good about our chances. So
2: Jason, you mentioned in the last game, the, the drought that Armando Bay caught at the end of the game, he had his last field goal attempt with twelve seventeen left on the clock. And for eight of those minutes, he didn't even touch the ball. So Let's be clear. I'm pretty sure Armando Baycott is going to touch the ball this time around in the last 12 minutes of the game, but that, yeah, it was, it was one of those stretches where for, for some reason, a, it was a combination of a UNC didn't go to Armando Baycott, but also Duke's defense on the perimeter was so effective in that game. They had to take last minute three point shots or last minute falling away hook shots that, you know, made it where they couldn't get the ball into uh, Armando Baycott in time for him to take a shot.
0: Duke also got Baycott into foul trouble in that, First game, Baycott ended the game with four fouls. And so that also, he had contributed, yeah. so that that contributed to uh, the 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 difficulty in in feeding him. Jason, I know you've got one more topic before we get to it. Uh, I did confirm that last year in their final home game, North Carolina played Syracuse. and uh, they had uh, Ryan McAdoo was one of the starters, and he was a uh, not even a role player. He was a he was a pure bench warmer for them for three years so yeah and, uh, and expect- let's be
1: cl- let's be clear it only means that that person plays for the first you know two or three minutes at the most but uh yeah hey for justin look McCoy, i'm sure that'll be a nice it, moment
0: it's a him. it's an it's an opportunity to to jump out to a lead if you know i like coach k didn't didn't do this but of course roy did, did it and uh and it seems like hubert is following in the tradition so uh you know duke should take advantage of that like if carolina wants to be sentimental duke should be Duke should be uh, getting easy buckets and we know how much Duke likes to get easy buckets at the beginning of the game. I'm looking at you, Derek Lively. All right, Jason, give me, give me one final point on this Carolina game on Saturday.
1: Okay. It does not relate to the Carolina game, but in the course of doing my research for the game, I was looking at all kinds of statistical stuff, trying to find interesting stats. And I came across a couple of things that I just wanted everyone to hear very quickly. Dereck Whitehead. Do you know that Dereck Whitehead is the top player in the ACC in terms of three point percentage in conference games, conference games only Dariq Whitehead is 28 of 60 that's 46.7 percent in uh ACC play on three pointers so tip of the hat to Derek Whitehead and then I found another really cool stat I hadn't even really noticed this before now Mark Mitchell we've talked a lot about his defense that he is a great defender Mark Mitchell is a great defender without fouling he's one of the 40 best players in the country. At fouls per minute, you know how many fouls he commits per minute. He's on the floor. He's sixth in the ACC in fouls per minute, and it's worth noting. Virtually all the guys who are ahead of him are players like Joe Girard of Syracuse. You know they play a lot of zone. They play mostly they're guards. They play on the perimeter. They're just not in there banging bodies, trying to get rebounds and and being physical on defense the way Mark Mitchell has to be as a forward. For Mark Mitchell as a forward to 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 be one of the 40 best players in the country in terms of the number of fouls he commits, is kind of an unreal statistic. So I just found that. I was like, God, it blew me away when I found that number. And he's doing that while a lot of times, especially recently, he's
2: been guarding the best perimeter player on the other team, right? The guy who who's usually involved in most of the playmaking. Mark Mitchell has been one of those guys that have been like, hey,
1: I'll lock this guy down. So well, yeah, this really... I feel like that's been Tyrese Proctor. I think Proctor's had taken the, but that's it's not the thing. Mitchell's it's been, been both. guarding good players and he will have a, I'm sure he will have an important assignment against UNC. Um, it's possible. He'll be on leaky black. I don't know. We'll see. It'll be interesting.
0: Uh, so Donald, where's the post game on Saturday? Are we going to, are we going to topo? Are we going, uh, what, what's the, what,
2: what, what's the plan? Look, if we win, I might just go to shooters. That might, that might, just that, be that's where up. I
0: think that's where, I think that's where <laughs> everyone goes.
2: Yeah. Uh, I might just go to cookout, give me some food, and then go to shooters. So don't holler at me at shooters. If you see me at shooters, just just nope give me no, a nod please and keep on walking.
0: If you see Donald <laughs> at shooters, please get a photo with him and send it to us, Dbrpodcast at gmail.com. I absolutely need that. Uh and don't don't and, be
2: putting me in jail, man. I told you. I would
0: <laughs> I would look well, I mean, you could be behind bars at shooters, but it means that you're in the cage. You're not necessarily yeah, in yeah, in prison. I won't be in the cage. Uh, the, 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 the bigger problem is like good luck getting in because the line on Saturday night, if it, when Duke beats Carolina is, is usually atrocious and you have to get there all the way from Chapel Hill. So that could be, we, uh, don't, have the, be we don't have
2: that clout to get in the shooters after all this time, we don't have the clout to get in the shooters. Then we we've been doing it wrong.
0: Let me, let me make some calls for you to see if I can, <laughs> see if I can get you to the front of the line. Okay. I think that's it. Uh, Duke plays UNC on Saturday in Chapel Hill. Donald's going to be there. Look for him. He'll be, you know he'll be the he'll be the Duke fan in the in 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 the audience, so that's great. Although although if you're on press row, I guess no uh no Duke shirt, so no Duke keep it shirt. cool, and uh and then look for Donald at approximately 11:45 p.m. uh in line of shooters. <laughs> so uh, Jason and I will will be watching from afar. You won't be able to hang out with us. That's okay. I actually I I, I should admit uh, I'm not going to be able to watch this game live on television because I'm going to be at a wedding, um which uh is. Neither here nor there, but I will catch up. Don't worry.
1: Wait, um, Sam. I'll know what what's going what on. horrible person scheduled their wedding on the night of the Duke UNC game? Oh, just somebody I went to college with. Oh, bad form. Really bad form. That's why yeah. we have. That's why we have phones with with TVs uh, I'll, on them. I'll,
0: I'll I'll have the phone. Uh, don't worry. Um, so so yeah, I'll be I'll be paying attention. Not not to worry, but I'll also be trying to enjoy the wedding. So I'll I'll be doing my best on all fronts at all times. So. Stay in touch with us, of course, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We will be back after that game to recap it. I don't know exactly when we will record that, but we will get to you very soon after that to talk the game, to talk ACC tournament seating, because not only does Duke play on Saturday, but almost the rest of the ACC plays on Saturday. So they'll be finalizing the ACC tournament uh, setup, and we'll be back to preview that, etc., So for Jason Evans and for Donald Wine, I am Sam Klein. This has been episode 495 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Duke Band, take us home.